pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us, and we thank you for the freedom we have to gather and worship you. Um, we pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world that don't have the same freedom, that gather in fear, that gather in secret. We pray that you would encourage them. Lord, we pray that you give us opportunities to be a blessing to them. Lord, we pray that you give us opportunities to use the incredible resources we've been given to be a blessing to the world and to bring your grace to the nations. Father, we pray that you would help us set aside the distractions and frustrations that we bring in this morning. Uh, we all come in with different things weighing on us, and you know what those are, and we, we don't want to pretend that everything is fine and we're happy all the time. Lord, you know uh, what we struggle with. And we just bring it in and we lay it at your feet, and we ask that you would be honored, and that as we sing these songs to you, that they would be transformative, that as we say them, they would begin to be drilled down into our hearts, and your Holy Spirit would make them real for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Grace. If you guys will stand, we're going to sing it out together.
singing it out, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name.
together this morning. Romans 11 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Father, we gather together as a people that proclaim that that you are the one and true God and that none of us have any claim over you that you are not in debt to us but we are in debt to you we gather together not only as a community of people that proclaim that you are God but as a community of people that proclaim that, that we are sinners and we don't just need a good God to follow we need a God who will save us from ourselves we gather as debtors, we gather as sinners, we gather as those who have not been everything that we should be, and we gather as those who, who joyfully recognize that not only are you the creator God that is almighty, that has made everything for your glory, but you are the gracious, forgiving God that sent your son Jesus to buy us back and to set us free from our sin. So Lord, we pray that as we continue to, to worship that we would hear your voice speaking to us, that we would hear you in your tenderness calling to us to continue to repent of our sin and to continue to trust in your goodness and to walk with you. Lord, help it be true. In Jesus' name, amen.
Together, worthy, all together, wonderful to me. 
If you will open your Bibles to Matthew 19, we're continuing our series in Matthew, and a series called Kingdom Come, where we've seen the tension between Jesus the King that we've all dreamed of, and Jesus the suffering servant uh, that we didn't quite expect, and uh, see that tension being worked out as Jesus kind of confronts the Jews and uh, makes more and more difficult calls on the life of his disciples. Uh, this one is about marriage and divorce today. And I wanted to share a few, just a few little resources here. Um, these are just four that I feel like are really good ones that address kind of a wide range of issues, and I highly recommend them. I've got like another 20 in my office if you need to see me afterwards and you, you want more. Um, first of all, I want to talk about this one. This is Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, a response to evangelical feminism. Uh, our church has kind of what is called a complementarian uh, stance, which means uh, we are neither traditionalist just for the sake of being traditionalist but we're we are also not egalitarians where we say there's no differences between roles of men and women uh, we hold that we are all equal before Christ but that the Bible actually does indicate that there are differing roles for men and women in the church and in the home uh, and just some great scholarly articles to talk about that from a biblical point of view and I highly recommend it if you are trying to investigate that for yourself and kind of understand some of those issues uh, the other one here is one that uh, my wife and I have been reading together lately. It's called Each for the Other, Marriage as It's Meant to Be. Uh, and this one really draws a lot on some of the ideas we're going to talk about today. The sermon today is actually called Give Yourself Away. Um, and it's that concept that basically God has given us to our spouse so that we can give ourselves to our spouse. I mean, that's our job. That is our role is to uh, be for the other one. And it's just a really well-done book. I highly recommend it. Two more. You still with me? Okay. Two more. This one's by Emerson Eggricks. Funny name. And it's called Love and Respect. This is the DVD series. There's also books you can get. 
at the Christian Bookstore. Um, we've got two sets of these DVDs for small groups or Sunday school classes, and we've run this as a class and as a small group several times here at the church, and I highly recommend it. If, if you're kind of considering maybe hosting a small group or leading one, this would be a good one to pick up. Uh, you and your own wife are trying to figure these things out. Hey, invite a few other couples over and just kind of have it out together and, and watch the DVDs and enjoy it. But he really, uh, he really spends a lot of time on the concept that there, there are different calls on our lives, that, that husbands are called to love their wives sacrificially, even though respect is what comes more naturally to us. And wives are called to respect uh, their husbands unconditionally, even though tender love is what comes more naturally to them. So we kind of have to learn from each other and, and listen to God's call for us there. Last one, uh, this is kind of a new one by John Piper called This Momentary Marriage, and the subtitle is A Parable of Permanence, and this one is just about the idea that God has designed uh, marriage to reveal him to the world, to reveal uh, his love for the church, and again, very good. Like I said, if, if, if you're looking for more, I've got more, but those are just a few that I wanted to throw out at you as we uh, look at marriage together. Like I said, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, and so if you can open there, and if you don't have a Bible, we have some black Bibles under the chairs, and we're in page 824, I believe, in those black Bibles, and you're welcome to keep those if you need one. And I want to read now a different verse just to set the stage. This is kind of a, a paradigm for what the Christian life should look like. I'm going to read out of Romans 12.1, so if you'll listen, and then we'll dive into to, uh, Matthew 19. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The call on the life of the Christian is to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. That is who we are. That's what Christianity is. That's what our faith is, to live out giving ourselves away to others. We're going to get into this more and more as kind of the tension heightens in the book of Matthew. And so that's why I chose this topic here as we look at marriage divorce. We've looked at it already when we were in chapter 5, and we talked about the brokenness that we all live with, right? We're all broken. None of us have gotten it right, okay? All of us have messed up. All of us need redemption. All of us need healing in our relationships. I also want to address those of you uh, that are single and, and let you know that, that this passage not only addresses marriage, but it also addresses singleness. I just put that with a pile of other books, but I need to read out of it still. So. All right, I'm just on automatic. I apologize, too. I'm on sleep deprivation, so if I say something crazy, just like put it out of your mind, okay? We're going to read. Hopefully I won't get this wrong. Matthew 19. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. This is a geographical note that's important in the book of Matthew. Uh, in the Gospel of John, we know that Jesus went back and forth to Jerusalem many times throughout his public ministry. Uh, but Matthew helps us to see that he spent most of his time in the region of Galilee, which was more of a Gentile, mixed Israeli-Gentile or Israeli-non-Israeli area. Okay, And that's really where Jesus spent most of his time. And then his ministry slowly moves deeper and deeper into the heart of Judea and into Jerusalem. And so we see that unfolding here in Matthew. There's going to be increasing conflict with the Jewish leaders in this book. It's going to, going to get tenser and tenser. Or more tense? How do you say that? I don't know. It's going to get tougher and tougher, okay? As we move along here, he's moving now closer in. He's in Judea now, and he's on the other, the other side of the Jordan. It says in verse 2, large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. This marks Jesus throughout the book of Matthew. Crowds are following him, and he's healing people. Verse 3 says... Some Pharisees came to him to test him. The Pharisees were these Jewish leaders that he's going to have more and more conflict with. And they come to test him about the Bible. And they say, 
It says, they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Let's pray. Father, we, we call on you this morning to speak to us and to teach us. This is, this is a very difficult topic for us. There are many of us here struggling this morning because uh, when we talk about marriage, we, we have a lot of terrible memories maybe of what marriages have looked like in our past, maybe the marriage of our parents, or maybe the non-marriage of our parents. Lord, we may have a difficult, broken marriage that we've been involved in. Maybe there's been many of them. Father, I know some people here are, are single and want to be married. Or some people are married and want to be single and are hurting. And we just pray that you would, you would give us grace that you would speak to us, that you would help us to see your, your design, and you would also help us to see your mercy to us and, and the brokenness that we all live in. So, Father, teach us. We pray your Holy Spirit would come and, and join with us and that your word would become clear. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we, we look at this idea of, of giving ourselves away, I, I thought of um, the, the King Midas story from old Greek mythology. Any of you remember the King Midas story? Um, King Midas uh, had this guy that uh, fell in some difficulty and had a problem, and King Midas helped him out. And this guy apparently was some kind of, like, god or demigod or something. You know, it was mythology. I don't remember what he was, but some guy that had special powers, right? And, and the guy with special powers told Midas, I'll give you anything you want. Just tell me what you want, and I'll give it to you. I will reward you for helping me. And, and King Midas uh, wanted gold. And King Midas said, why don't you give me the power to turn anything I touch into gold, which sounds great, right? I mean, gold is, is uh, expensive, it's valuable, it's wonderful. I mean, if you, if you had all the gold in the world, just think of what you could give to other people, right? I mean, you could be really generous if you were the richest man in the world, right? How many of you think, I mean, I'd, I'd be a much more generous person if I just had all the money in the world, wouldn't you? I mean, I know I would, I'm sure. And, and that's kind of the thinking that Midas has in this story. But it, but it goes bad. If you remember the story, it goes bad, right? He sits down to eat, and his glass turns into gold. And he, he grabs something to put in his mouth, and then the food turns to gold. And, and at one point in the story, he embraces his daughter, and his daughter turns to gold. And, and so in his desire for gold and his desire for something really valuable, he's actually taking life from those around him. Rather than giving to others, he ends up taking from others. This power that he thought would set him free and make him wealthy and... and you know, make all his dreams come true, actually became a barrier to him being able to give to others the way he wanted. He was not able to love others the way he wanted. And I think, of course, it's a myth, but it, 
but it explains this bigger paradigm of, of how life works. I mean, we all have things that we think, if I just had that, it would fix everything, right? Like if my, if my spouse would just do this differently, everything would be okay. I'd be a much happier person, and I'd be much more generous, and I'd be much more kind. If I just had this money, I'd be more generous, or if, or if I just had this circumstance in my life fixed, or this right job, and we think that's the thing that's going to get us to where we need to be. And God's call on us is to give ourselves away right where we are. Not to wait for that thing to be fixed. Not to look for that idol that's going to solve everything. That, that false God that we think is going to be the thing that's really going to be the breakthrough for us. But to, to give away what we have right now. Not to wait for anything to change. But to make the most of this current situation. And that's Jesus' call on us in marriage. And even his call on us and singleness is to give ourselves away. And I want to unfold this in some stages as he unfolds it. There's this back and forth with these Pharisees. You know, they're, they're testing him here. And when they test him, the, the first thing that we see is that we have to give away our myths. The first thing that we see is we have to give away our myths about marriage and divorce. And we see this in uh, verse 3 when they say, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus goes back to the Creator, and He says, no, there's, there's an original design, and you have to give up your myths about what marriage is and look at how God set it up in the first place. He says in verse 4, Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. So they say, Can you get a divorce for any and every reason? Myth number one. Jesus says, what? Anyone? No. There's a lot of words, right? Sometimes you wish Jesus could just be a little more straightforward. He says no. Can, can we get divorced for any and every reason? That's a myth of our culture right now, right? We live in a culture that says you've got to be happy and, you know, you've got to be self-actualized and, and cut that person loose if they're dragging you down. And, yes, you can get a divorce for any and every reason. That's what our culture says. That's what their culture said. That's what the conservative Jewish culture at the time said. That's what the Roman culture at the time said. They said, yes, you can get a divorce for any and every reason. That, that's myth number one. But what's the other myth here we see? The other myth we see is, is that it's not, uh, marriage is not designed to be a serial event. And I don't mean serial like you eat. I mean like serial installments, you know, like something that happens again and again. You know, marriage is not meant to be something that happens over and over and over again. It's a one-time thing. He says he made the male and female to come together and to cleave to each other. That's literally in the Hebrew, going back in the Old Testament, that's to be glued together permanently, to be stuck together, not to be separated. Let no man separate them anymore. Divorce should not be an option. You shouldn't think that it's just a temporary situation. The other myth is, is the myth of polygamy. This is less of a problem in our culture, I think, right now. But uh, I joked earlier, I, I would not be surprised if it starts to become an issue in our culture very soon. I mean, just kind of the way things are going. Everything's up for grabs, really. And uh, pretty soon people say, no, it's not for two to become one, but it's for three to become one or four to become one. And, and that'll, that'll begin to be an option that people are going to push. Okay? I'm just I'm letting you know right now. It may be kind of alternative culture right now, but it'll, I bet it'll start to become more mainstream. Just, just watch. But again, that's a myth. Because God had an original design. God created it a particular way, and he said it's for two to come together and be one. And that's the design of marriage. 
Um, the other thing we see is that we're not to, to remain uh, loyal to our parents forever. And I know this is a difficult for some, difficulty for some people because the, the Bible commands us to honor our father and mother. And I, I believe that does extend for a lifetime. See this whole principle in the Old Testament of, of honoring elders in general and parents specifically. And so, yes, we should always be respectful. We should always be honoring. But, but here he says the design is to leave father and mother and cleave, be glued with, join together with your spouse. That, that's the plan. That's the way God designed it. So, so people, a lot of the struggles that we have in our marriage is when we re, remain and, and try to hold on to this loyalty to our parents that really we owe to our spouse alone. Make sure that your primary loyalty is to your spouse and that your spouse knows that, okay? Make sure they understand that. The language here specifically in, in the NIV says in verse 5, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Preachers prefer the old King James language, which is leave father and mother and be and cleave to your wife, because it rhymes, and, and we like rhyming. Um, but but it, it just means to be glued together, to be bound together. And, and that is our call, to leave our first family and, and be bound and be glued to our new family, and that should be permanent. We've, we've talked before, we, we preached on this about a year ago, and we also saw, looked at marriage in, in chapter 5 of Matthew as well. But we talked about how this... Uh, this is a reminder of how glue works. If you've ever glued wood together and you had a chair that broke and you, and you glued a seam together with wood glue and then the chair broke again. Have any of you had that happen? And it breaks in a new place, right? Because the glue is then stronger than the wood itself. And that's the picture that the Bible paints of marriage and of sexual union specifically is that it's this permanent bond. And when you bond and tear apart and bond again to another. There's, there's a mingling of souls and there's a tearing of souls that happens because that's not God's original design for, for that bond to be broken. The bond is supposed to be permanent. The, the other thing that we need to understand is that celibacy is not commanded. Some religious traditions uh, hold up celibacy as, as much more greater, much more spiritual than being married. And we see here, we'll see later in this text, that he does bless celibacy. And there's some great blessings in celibacy, which basically means not being married. Okay, um, So there's blessings in that, right? But, but it's not to be held up as what everybody should do and you're bad if you want to get married. Here we see that marriage is normal. Marriage is okay. That's just kind of the way God made us. Okay, And so we're not commanded. We don't have to be celibate. It's not like we're second-class Christians if we do marry. And it's not like we're second-class Christians if we remain single either. And we'll look at that later in this text. And then the last thing is it's not a same-sex relationship. And again, this is one of those unpopular things. I know I'm not supposed to say that in today's culture, but that's the picture that the Bible paints, is that it's two different genders coming together to become one. Uh, I talked earlier about that, the big blue book. It's, it's complementarian view. You know, complement means different things that fit Together, I had a, a picture here of, well, I can get my clicker to work. Can you go forward one for yeah. me, I have a picture of a puzzle. There it is, a puzzle piece. And, and the idea is, I mean, biology teaches this, but also just the difference in the way we see the world, the difference in how we understand things, the way that we see things. Men and women are made different to fit together. We're a complement. We're not the exact same, and that's part of God's design. God designed it that way, male and female. He created male and female. He didn't say, or male and male, or female and female. 
And that's clear as you look throughout the rest of Scripture. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but what I want to say about that specifically is that um, there's this kind of pendulum that churches swing on, right? That, that, it's, that homosexuality is a far worse sin than anything else, or the other extreme that, oh, it's just fine, and you know, we need to be relaxed and laid back about it because you know, it's the 21st century. The Bible paints the picture, and you can see this in Romans 1 through 3, uh, that homosexuality is a sin just like other sins. It's just as bad, Paul, Paul moves in Romans 3 to say it's just as bad as the religious sins that, that us churchy people commit, okay? Just as bad. Sin is sin. We're, we're not saying one sin is worse than the other, but we are saying that God's design is for male and female to come together. That's the way he's made the world. That's the way he's wired the universe. As we seek to apply this, I think, I think the most important thing, kind of the, the big impact of this little section is in verse 6. The two become one flesh, and in verse 6, so they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. The main punch here of Jesus, what makes this so difficult is Jesus says, it's supposed to be permanent. It's supposed to be forever. Not only is it two coming together, but it's permanent. It's, it's forever. And this is very important. And I, I prayed earlier that, that you would understand that we don't, we don't want to condemn and we, we believe fully that the only way you can even be a member of a church is to be a sinner, okay? The only way you can be a member of a church is to be a failure and to be a sinner. So, so I'm not standing here as one that's never been divorced, condemning those of you that have, because I, I know that we've all got these kinds of things in our background. But we, just, we have to understand how God created it or else we'll never be able to move forward in freedom. And this is not to condemn what's in your past. This is to recognize, oh, maybe some of those issues I have in my past are because that wasn't the original design. And this is what God's desire is, that we would cling to the spouse that we have, that, that we should be uh, permanently connected. And I think a very, a very basic application is that in the marriage that you are in now, just take divorce off, take it off the radar, take it off the table, don't mention it, don't talk about it. It, it shouldn't even be an option. It shouldn't be a consideration. Don't bring it up when you're angry, you know. Talk all like you're not a, for it. And then when you're in a big fight, then you bring it up. Just, just push it out. Don't, don't even bring it up, okay? Don't talk about it at all. It shouldn't be even a consideration. You should be working and struggling and striving together to figure out how you can give yourself to each other. To give up and give away the myths that we've been taught as kids. And to give ourselves to each other and to making it work according to the way God has designed it. The next section we see is that we need to give away our heart. We need to give away our heart. In, in verse 7, the uh, Pharisees come back to him, and they're like, they think maybe they've got him trapped. They said, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife. Moses wasn't commanding divorce. He was commanding the giving of a certificate if you're going to do this thing, Okay. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It's a heart issue. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Jesus makes it clear that, that um, sexual immorality, marital unfaithfulness is the only exception uh, that would break this. Later on in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul adds, uh, also if you're married to an unbeliever and the unbeliever uh, leaves you, then you're free. But if 
if the unbeliever is willing to stay with you, we'll stay with them and, and try to see them blessed by Christ, the Christ that you know. Uh, but here Jesus makes it very clear that, that it is permanent. And the only reason that divorce was ever allowed, even though there may be exceptions for it, the only reason it was allowed was because of hardness of heart, because of our own sin. The problem is ourself. And I think this is the biggest issue in marriages. It's the biggest issue in my marriage. As I said, I stand up here as a sinner, not as someone who's perfect. But I stand up here as a sinner um, who struggles in my own marriage, who struggles with my own children, struggles in other relationships. And the root issue is my own heart. The root issue is my own difficulty in, in getting over myself, my unwillingness to give my own heart away to others, but, but wanting to kind of stand on my own rights and wanting to stand on on my own strength and, and what I think is owed to me and what I believe I need to be given and what I need to be happy. We have a culture that's obsessed with, with self-actualization. We have a culture that's obsessed with ourself, with our own heart and filling it up with all these other things. When God makes it clear that, that giving it away is what really in the end is going to bring us the most joy. That's the one thing that's going to really ultimately set us free is as we learn to give ourself away to others. I found this picture of a guy meditating. And uh, the scripture makes it clear that it's good to meditate on scripture. But there's kind of a, uh, a, a new age or Buddhist type of meditation that's really a clearing of the mind. And there's this term called navel gazing. Have you ever heard of the term navel gazing? Anyone? No one. Not at all. Okay. Navel gazing... Um, in early meditation, a lot of the early meditation, they would like stare into their own navel. That means belly button, for those of you who don't know the word. Um, it's not just a type of orange, uh, but it's also a body part, okay? And it's this kind of being obsessed with yourself. It's this like clearing your mind and being all about yourself and realizing that you are God and you are one with the universe and, and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and it's, it's this self-obsession that we have. I, I like to say a suicidal self-obsession that we have. It, it destroys us. It eats us up because we're all obsessed with our own heart and what will make us happy and what will make us feel free and what will make us feel great and what will make us feel strong. And Jesus comes and just hits it head on and says, no, that's, that's really not the point. That's not the point of marriage at all. It's not all about your self-actualization. It's about you giving yourself away to others. Jesus knows that it's difficult. He knows that it's hard. I know that it's hard. We all know that it's hard, but that doesn't mean we just give up. It doesn't mean we just chuck it out the window. We continue to go for him for grace. We pray to him for strength. We look to him to help us. We look to community to encourage us as we continue to give our hearts away and give our lives away to each other. I think it's important that we understand that it's, it's not about us. That, that we're not the point. The title of that, that book by Chapel that I talked about, it, it's called Each for the Other. The, the point is our spouse. The point is not us. The point is not me. It's, it's my spouse. And, and that's true for every marriage. And Paul talks about this in, in Ephesians 5. And it's just really incredible because the point goes even farther than that. It's not just not about us and about our spouse. But even more than that, it is a parable. It is a picture of God and his love for us. Paul talks in, in the end of Ephesians chapter 5 about what marriage should look like. It's about a, a husband sacrificially giving himself up in his love for his wife. And it's about a wife sacrificially submitting and honoring and respecting her husband. And, and he goes through all of this and, and just the beauty of this and the amazement of it. And he 
kind of hits this climax in verse 32. And he says, this is a profound mystery. In Ephesians 5.32, Paul's talking about marriage and how amazing it is, this mystery that a man would really love a woman and really give himself to her. And this incredible mystery that a woman would actually love her man and, and honor him and respect him. And it is profound. It is a mystery. And Paul says, this is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. He says, yeah, that, this is a mystery, but, but even more so is the mystery of Christ and the church. I mean, we're, we're sinners trying to love each other. We're sinners trying to love another sinner. And that is a mystery, that we would love another sinner. Especially because we're sinful ourselves. I mean, I know a lot of you are sitting out there going, yeah, but I'm like, you know, 95% the good one. And they're, they're 95% the bad one. You know, I mean, I've, I've only got a little problem in our marriage. And really, it's mostly their fault. We're not keeping score here, okay? I know some of you even think you're not at fault. And I need you to make an appointment immediately after the marriage so that we can get you into some counseling, okay? Because as I said earlier, membership requirement here, number one, is that you recognize you're a sinner. Okay, and you bring that to the table in every relationship, especially in marriage. Especially in marriage, where your spouse sees you every day, at every time, when you're tired, when you're grumpy. The profound mystery, though, is not just that a husband and wife would give themselves to each other. The profound mystery is that the perfect God of the universe would give himself to us. This perfect God of the universe would leave his perfection and, and bridge that gap would fix that, that brokenness that's between us. We talked about it's, it's God's design that there would be two that are different, two different genders, male and female, that would come together to love each other and to become one. And part of that design of differentness coming together to become one reflects the glory of a God, a creator, that would bridge the gap to a sinful humanity and become one with us. You know, there's this idea philosophically today that there is no distinction between creator and creation, that all is just one, that there's not a two-ness or a dualism. I don't know how to say that. I'm not a philosopher. But that, that there's not a two different things in the universe, but there's just one. All is one, right? You've heard that kind of talk before, you know, kind of recognizing that we're part of God and God is part of us and everything's the same thing and there's God and, and nature and nature and God and it's all just kind of mixed together. But, but the Bible paints this different picture. And I think really logic and uh, reason paints this different picture too, that there is a distinct creator who is holy and awesome and perfect that created everything. And then there's this creation that's separate from him, that's different from him, that reflects his glory, that's awesome, that's beautiful and amazing and glorious and has his fingerprints all over it. So God is reflected all around us in creation, but it's still distinct from the creator. And because of our sin, we're broken. And we're not everything that we should be. But the profound mystery is that God, being separate from us, would bridge that gap through the cross. Through Jesus dying for us, giving himself for us. Paying the price that we should pay for our own sin and bridging that gap between creator and creation. It's a profound mystery. Christ and the church. The last thing that we see is that we should give away our celibacy. Sounds kind of weird, I know. Give away your celibacy. Um, but let me read it. We'll explain. As I said, celibacy really means uh, singleness or not, bear, not being sexually active, not being married. In verse 10, the disciples recognize that these are some hard sayings. 
that, that Jesus is cutting against the grain of culture. And this is what they say. It's, it's kind of funny, really. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. And how does Jesus respond? He's like, mm, well, yeah. Verse 11. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. So it's, it's a gift. As we said earlier, celibacy is blessed. Singleness is blessed. It, it's a gift that God gives to some people. And he, he explains further in verse 12. For some are eunuchs. Eunuchs literally... Um, Physically, someone who doesn't have functioning boy parts, okay, is, is the literal meaning of it. Uh, a man that cannot have union with a woman. But it was also used figuratively in that day as well. So it's used literally and figuratively, and Jesus kind of unfolds the different ways that the term is used. He says, for some are eunuchs because they were born that way. They just, they were just born that way physically. It's the way they were made. Others were made that way by men, very common in the Roman Empire and other empires to castrate a man, make him a eunuch so that he could be trusted with the women of the court. Okay? Um, we don't want to go into more details there. So, others were made that way by men. And then he says, others have renounced marriage, is what it says in the NIV. It really just says, and others are eunuchs. Others are eunuchs because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can't accept this should accept this. And again, he's, he's defining here, this is a gift. Okay, if, if, if you see that it's better not to marry and you want to devote yourself to the kingdom, that's great. But, but only if it's been given to you. If, if you can accept that, accept it. But again, we saw earlier that, that marriage is the norm. That's kind of the creation norm. And then Jesus here is saying, yeah, in this spiritual war that we are currently engaged in, for some, you may want to devote all your strength and all your energy in singleness to the kingdom. And some people do that. In 1 Corinthians 7, if you want to read that later, 1 Corinthians 7 really highlights that. 1 Corinthians 7 makes much of that. That, that celibacy, singleness, can be a gift, a stewardship to be used. Paul talks about how uh, if you're married, you're worried about pleasing your wife. As a husband, you're worried about pleasing your wife. And as a wife, you're worried about pleasing your husband. And that's okay. That's great. You should be worried about pleasing your spouse. But Paul says that can be a distraction from kingdom things. And Paul says in the beginning of that chapter that you can give yourself more fully to the kingdom, to being about ministry and serving others if, if you're single. I mean, I remember, I don't know if y'all remember this, those of you that are married, like when you first get married, it's just kind of weird that you have to like, you can't just walk out the door, right? You have someone there to consider. You're like, oh, uh, I'm going to go to the store. You want to go with me? Or, you know, like it's this weird, awkward thing. You don't know how to handle it. You're like, do I just walk out or do I say something? Do I leave a note? I invite her every time I go anywhere. You know, like you just, we've been married 16 years, so I don't even think about these things anymore. But I was remembering back to, to what it was like, you know. But when you're single, you're just free. You just do what you want. You come and go. If someone has a need, if there's a ministry emergency, you go and you, you fix it. You help. You minister. You serve. And Paul says there, there's this real practical freedom you have. There's this kind of streamlined life that you have when you're single that you don't have to worry about pleasing your spouse. You're just all about the things of the Lord. And that's a good thing. So like I said, he blesses singleness. He, singleness. he blesses celibacy. He blesses singleness. He says it's a stewardship. It's a resource that you've been given. It's something you've been given to give yourself away to others, to serve others. Again, 
every step of this, we see that it's all about us giving ourselves to others. It's about us giving ourselves away for God's glory, the way Jesus has given himself away to us. I a picture here of a guy standing all alone. And I think for those of you that are single, I know it's difficult. Um, a lot of you are thinking, well, well, maybe I've been given the gift, but what if, what if I don't want this gift? You know, can I give the gift back? You know, I know some of you are, are single and don't want to be single. And I think that's fine. Again, we, we saw that, that God says it's normal to be married. It's, it's great to want to be married and to pursue that. The Bible says pursue a godly mate. Pursue someone that, that knows Jesus and loves Jesus like you do so that you'll be equally yoked and we'll be on the same page. But pursue that. That's fine. What do you do in the meantime, though? Do you just see yourself as all alone and I'm alone and I want to be with someone? I'm single and I want to be married and you just kind of fixate on that? I, I found another picture to contrast with that. There's the guy alone and, and here's, there's a bunch of single people in that crowd. Can you pick them out for me? Anyone? I see some of you squinting. Okay. It's a joke. You can't pick them out. All right? I'll just give away the answer. You cannot pick out the single people in the picture. Maybe you have some kind of special powers. I don't know. But I don't think you can. I mean, the idea is that we should not see ourselves as all alone and solitary. If you're single, if you're not married and you desire to be, that's great. That's fine. Pursue marriage and, and pray and, and seek that with, with a godly spouse. But don't just fixate on your aloneness. Use the resource of time and energy use the stewardship that you have been given in this present time. Don't, don't waste what you have right now. Pursue marriage. That's, that's great. But, but also give yourself away in the time that you have right now. Use it as a resource. Don't, don't waste the time worrying and, and being sad and, and being focused on self. But give yourself away in the time that you have now. I want to say thank you very specifically to many of the singles in our church who have modeled that beautifully in this church, who give themselves in ministry. And I don't see them complaining and whining about being single. I, I know enough of them personally to know that many of them want to be married, and they pray for that, and they pray for a godly spouse, but they give themselves to ministry now. Many of them formally in ministries and nursery and youth ministry and things we have here, but also informally and just being people that are about our, our Savior's business and seek to, to bring him into conversations and to be a blessing to others and to help others and serve others with the time that they have and the energy that they have. So I want to say thank you for that. And, and I want to just say a, a warning. That any time, whether you're single or married, that you say, God, I can give myself away once you fix this issue in my life, that that's idolatry. That, that's saying that this thing, God, that I need you to fix is more important than you and your call in my life. And I just want to warn you of that because the, the scripture says that Jesus is enough. That we can be satisfied in him so that we can give ourselves away to others in any situation. No matter what the circumstance is. And that's his call to us. Whether you're married or you're single, his call is that we would give ourselves away to others. As we wrap up, I just want to close with the concept that, that Jesus is really the opposite of Midas, okay? Midas desired gold and took life from others. Jesus was the king of the universe and had all the gold there is and, and gave up his gold to give life to others. 
as you understand that, as, as you grow deeper in the reality that you have a God that is for you, that bridges that gap to save you, that frees us to give ourselves to a spouse that maybe doesn't appreciate it, to, to a single life that maybe we don't appreciate, whatever your situation. If you understand that God has given himself to you through Jesus, then you can give yourself away to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you, that you love us so much that you gave yourself for us, and we pray that you would help us to know that, to remember that, to live that. Father, I do pray that those, for those that are, that are hurting right now and struggling in their, their, their current situation, those that have had a string of bad relationships and are trying to figure out how to make the one they're in right now work, pray your grace for them to give themselves to their spouse. For those that are single and don't want to be, I pray, Lord, for your grace to them to, to give themselves away in their singleness and to wait patiently. Lord, for all of us, we pray that you would, you would continue to strengthen us as we understand how great you are and that you would set us free be a blessing to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, we're going to sing a new song that we haven't sung yet before. Um, but before we do that, I just wanted to kind of introduce you to it. Um, there's a little bit of different wording that we, we don't usually sing. Um, but in general, um, it's basically, the way I see it, is just an awesome call to action uh, as, as children of God. Um, and the fact that we're just not supposed to sit here um, and just come and hear cool things and then not do anything about it, you know. Um, one thing that God's been working on me with is like, do you end up with a to-do list at the end of the sermon, you know? <laughs> what is my spiritual uh, to-do list at the end of it? Like, what is God calling me to apply from from what I've learned today? Um, so this song is just an awesome call to action. And I just want to look at a couple words, too. Um, Nicole, if you look, one of, one of the things, this line here says, be here, be now. Um, and that's just another thing that God's really been talking to me about is, you know, I think a lot of times we, we sort of look for that thing that's over the next hill. You know, God, where are you taking me? Where am I supposed to be going? And, and uh, what's this big thing that's out, you know, ahead of me? And it, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that God has called us to do something and to be someone right here and right now. Um, and then the one last thing, too, uh, that I wanted to talk about is it, in the bridge it says, um, we're, it, talk, it has a line that says, we're not safe. And I think that's a kind of a strange thing to sing in a song for some of us. Um, but I think the, the point of it, basically, is that we have these things that God's given us. We have these resources and this time and this energy. And we shouldn't think that this is the safe thing that we can tuck away for ourselves, but that it should be available to to God and in the way he, he wants to use that. So if you guys will stand with us, uh, I'll, I'll kind of teach it to you and hopefully you can just jump in whenever you feel comfortable. So.